there's like something inside me. I'm like, I cannot, I feel like I can't go to a job site. I feel like I can't go do another estimate. Like I just, I can't do it. And I was like, that doesn't mean I don't want to run this company or I don't want to be part of this company, but I just can't do this activity anymore. Welcome to the Painter Growth Podcast, where we help you scale your painting company in record time. Join us as we explore sales, marketing, hiring, finances, leadership, and more, everything that you need to know to scale and grow your painting business. I hope you enjoy and subscribe. What's up, everybody? Mike Orhakwin here, founder of PainterGrowth.com, and you're listening to the Painter Growth Podcast. And we have a regular of the show now, Jesse Taran. What's up, man? Good to have you back. Good to be here, man. So Jesse run the seven figure plus painting business in an hour a week. Of course, a coach here at Painter Growth and uh, just all around awesome entrepreneur. Dude, thanks for being here again. Yeah, man. I, I love doing these. So excited to, excited to chat. So you're um, obviously big on personal growth, personal development. And you were just saying before this that like even in the two or three months since last time you were on the podcast, you feel like a completely different person. Like what's what's what are kind of some of the things that have changed in your life over the last two or three months? Yeah. So I think when we chatted last, I was kind of just starting um, like I put someone in place that I was calling a CEO. It's more like a territory manager that now that I think about it, that it's running this one area of the business. And I was able to take a step back and that kind of led me to take, you know, for the most part, a sabbatical uh, last uh, basically October to December where I was doing, you know, obviously helping out coaching like three to five hours a week with, with painter growth and whatnot. But um, I really took a big step back. And and uh, like I said, I feel like my mindset has changed on like everything since then. <laughs> um, but I wasn't able to actually see that until I got to the point. Actually, I got to the point in my painting business. It was like August 15th where I'm like, there's like something inside me. I'm like, I cannot, I feel like I can't go to a job site. I feel like I can't go do another estimate. Like I just, I can't do it. And I was like, that doesn't mean I don't want to run this company or I don't want to be part of this company, but I just can't do this activity anymore. It's there's like some sort of misalignment. So that was August 15th. And then um, immediately called, I literally, literally immediately called my general manager at the time. I'm like, Hey, can you meet me for a coffee? <laughs> and we meet for a coffee and I'm like, dude, I, uh, do you want more? Like, do you want, do you want more than this? Do you want to like basically take on all the operations of this territory and division? And he said he did. And so in 15 days we created an agreement and as of September 1st, I stepped out. So I haven't done estimate. I haven't done anything except for coach him uh, uh, about one hour a month since that. And what's happened in your business? Like if, in terms of financials uh, since then? Yeah, it's like our, my, <clears throat> the thing I was focusing on was like net profit. And um, it's been, I've been pulling personally as much um, or more than I was even when I was working in the business, which is crazy. Um, the way I structured it with him is just incentivized him so much more and he's producing and booking so much more because of the incentivization around that. And so it's just been a major win-win. Now I thought I was going to like uh, get completely out of the painting industry again <laughs> for the second time around. That's kind of what I thought. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm over this. I'm done. And then taking that time off, um, I realized like I, I would always been playing like a, a finite game in business, which is there's always a means to an end. Okay. I'm going to start this company. I'm going to make this amount of profit. It's going to create this type of lifestyle. And now I feel so energized by just changing up the structure, you know, of the company and whatnot, where it feels like for the first time, maybe in my entire life, I'm playing what feels like an infinite game in business, which is similar to like how I view golf, right? I love golf. I just play golf because I love to play golf. Uh, now I feel like I'm just playing business to 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 play the game, and uh, that the level of like motivation that I have uh, in this is is a level that I've just I've never felt um, before. So. Yeah, I'm, I, it's a uh, Hormozy says um, you know the point of business isn't to win, but it's to it's to stay in business, right? It's just to keep playing the game for another day, for another week, for another year. Totally, and and I think the big thing for me out to, to get there was once I, you know, set up that structure with my territory manager where um, I had enough personal cash flow coming in to take care of my family, take care of myself, where that wasn't, that's not a stress. Then, um, then I was able to actually take that step back and then come back with a completely different perspective um, on it. And so I think that that 
that first level was so important. And if you're not there today, it's like, I just recommend everyone to like get to that level where you're like so comfortable, you know, with your personal cash flow, um, because then your entire world starts to open up. It's true. Uh, I mean, so it, it's interesting actually, because your, your business got to like, it was good. Your business was doing good and it was cash flowing and you were still, so before you, before you reassessed the responsibilities of your GM, what were you still doing in the day to day? Not, not a huge amount. Like I was probably working like five, 10 hours a week, but I was still doing uh, a good amount of the, the estimate sales and, uh, and then overseeing some of the other subcontractors and, and that, that type of deal. And then obviously financials and, um, and that type of stuff, but, uh, and then just coaching my guys. So it was probably about five, 10 hours a week on average, a little bit more yeah. in the you know, busy season, like May, June type of, type of time frame. But, yeah. um, yeah. And then even doing that, you kind of just felt like, I don't know, burnt out is the right word, but just kind of like over it. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it probably, probably some sort of like burnout, but it was like, I just had the feeling I'm like, I just, I just can't get myself to do these tasks that I know need to get done in the business. But on the other hand, I'm like, I didn't want to not have the business. I still wanted to own the business. I was just like, uh, I just feel like I, I, I'm no longer fit to do this specific task in this business. And it was just like an internal feeling where I'm like, uh, it was so hard to describe at that time. And so that's why I put the systems in place to take that step back and, and thought I was going to completely leave, but actually coming back down, we're like more than doubling down uh, with, within it now, which is pretty cool. So what were some of the most challenging things to delegate from that leadership role where you were already CEO and then you're, de you're delegating some of these you know, more challenging tasks you've never had to delegate to now to your, to your territory manager? The, the biggest one and the most uncomfortable one for me was everything around the financials. Um, that was probably the hardest one, <laughs> but the way I set it up is like, he's basically running this territory. Right. And, um, and so he actually handles like all the, all the financials that, that are a part of it. And then I just take, um, you know, dividends and, and my share out of that now. So that was the hardest one to give up control. And the other difficult part of it was, or has been, um, not, not jumping back in when we have like a slow week or something, uh, that has been like the hardest part where I'm like, oh, you know, I could just jump back in and go book an extra, you know, 30, 40 K this week to just pump out the numbers and whatnot. And I've just been so diligent to not do that because, um, because A, I'm, I'm going to be stepping on his toes and then uh, B, he's not going to learn what he needs to learn to make sure that we hit the numbers come hell or high water, right? Mm -hmm. How did you structure the comp so that it was, I don't need, we don't need a base salary, but how did you structure the, the incentive to make him motivated to do all these things? So it's no, no base salary or anything. It's all profit share. All profit share. All profit share with him for this specific territory, how I've set it up. So yeah. it's like, if uh, if he wins, I win. If he loses, I lose. And uh, so we're we're very much in it together, right? It's like yeah, he's got to he's got to win, so we both both win. Are you comfortable sharing the percentage, or uh, we'll save that one for our offline. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Cool. I mean, yeah, you can use anyone listening can use your your creativity. Um, just me thinking through it. Um, if it was like something motivating, and he's taken on you know low risk but high responsibility, I would probably you know put that around like between 25 and 30%, I think would be fair. You don't have to respond, but just thinking through, that's probably what I would start with. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, and I'll say like, since he's taken on that role, he's more than, uh, more than two X his monthly income. So it's awesome. been a huge win for, for, uh, yeah. for both of us. So part of, you know, be like, uh, you know, being an entrepreneur is like solving these problems and figuring out not just how to move your business forward, but like move the career forward. So since getting this person installed, obviously, it's going really well, you know, for the most part, I'm sure there's ups and downs on the day to day that, that you don't talk about when you're talking about broad strokes, but overall, it's going well. Um, how has that changed your perspective on on business in general? Yeah, so I think that Again, during the sabbatical of, you know, basically October to December there. And then when it came down to the pain of growth mastermind, I had a lot of time to, to think and, and whatnot. And I don't know if you've been paying attention is, uh, to this as much, but I, 
um, I pay attention a lot in the like private equity space and uh, you know, the Twitter sphere of all these people. And there's just, there's a massive thing about either private equity or even people that have had like a big exit um, in tech that they just want to buy a boring cash flowing business. It's like the biggest thing. And if you haven't been paying attention for all the painters out there, it's like, I'm like, man, I was, I was on the plane going to Phoenix and I'm like, listening to a podcast and somebody was talking about buying a boring cash flowing business. And I'm like, huh, well, painting is like the boring, <laughs> most boring business. Uh, and it's like insanely cash flow of how, how I've set it up. Right. So I'm like, maybe there's a lot more here that I've, that has been right in front of my face and I've just been overlooking. And because like I said, it's always been a means to an end where I've always thought I need to get out and go do something else. And I'm like, wait a minute, maybe there's something right, uh, right here that I've been overlooking. And so that's, change my perspective where now it's like, okay, if you have a painting business and if you're the owner operator, realistically, like for the, for the most part, unless you get like crazy lucky, which some people do, but I'd say for the most part, evaluation of a painting company might be one to two times, maybe, like maybe. Um, but if you have a general manager in place, that probably quickly bumps it up to somewhere between two and five X. If you have that, if you have that layer of management. Now, if you have, as you increase the EBITDA of the company, um, then depending where you're at, you, then you get a higher multiple as well. So if you have the management in place and then you have a higher EBITDA, then you could uh, then you could start looking at somewhere between maybe like five and nine X of EBITDA. Um, and so it's completely changed my perspective where even now, instead of me working on, you know, even doing an estimate or trying to hire a salesperson or coach a salesperson, um, like just in the last few weeks, it's like, we're looking at like two different acquisitions that we could do this year because people are retiring and they don't have a plan, right? They, no one's ready to buy their company. And I'm like, Hey, I'll buy your company. The reason why I'll buy your company is because it's going to add a ton of, uh, EBITDA to our business. It's, um, it, I'm going to create it a win-win. So, uh, or how I'm thinking about every business deal now is, uh, have you heard of the Danjo investor? Have you read that book? No. Okay. So there's a saying in there. I love it. It's, Heads I win, tails I don't lose much. Now I've, I've kind of changed it a bit. I'm like, heads I win, tails I still win, <laughs> right? So how do you do deals in, in life and in business where it's heads I win, tails I still win? Um, and so part of the, I guess now portfolio that I'm creating, we have another brand, I don't wanna talk too much about it because it's still in you know pre pretty early. But as I was thinking about creating that, which is very related to the painting company, I'm like, okay, heads we really, like we really win here, uh, tails, because it's still connected with the painting company, we still win, <laughs> um, which is completely different than, you know, where I was back in like 2019 trying to create, you know, an app. Cause you know, that was like heads, sure I, I win like crazy, but uh, tails, I mean, I lost tens of thousands of dollars in two and a half years of my life. Like there's a huge loss to that, right? Um, and so taking that experience has completely shifted how I think about business opportunities and where to focus time. And so, as I win, tails us to win. <laughs> so that's interesting. Let's like marinate on this like acquisition, growth by acquisition topic for a minute. So how, so currently your business structure, right? The, it really comes down to being able to leverage the increase in EBITDA and e earnings before interest and taxes and that multiplier that you could potentially get from improving the business, right? This is how yeah. a lot of portfolio companies work. So if you look at a business that's with the main guy is trying to retire and he has a few painters and, you know, a few thousand clients on his list, and some old equipment that might be worth, yeah, one times earnings, right? So you yeah. might pay say a hundred thousand dollars for this business. You get all this IP as well as his equipment and contracts and painters, exactly. right? Yep. Then yep. you, you implement the system that you have right now, you install another general manager, and then all of a sudden that business is worth three X, right? It might not be cash flowing that much yet. You know, you can grow it, but then it's worth three X. And then if you can continue doing that four or five, six times, you then could potentially build a business that, you know, is, you know, has that 10, $10 million top line um, and might be worth five to seven X. Yeah. So exactly right. Because that's, um, and that's exactly what we've done and everything we've done with, with um, painter growth as well. It's like putting those systems in place that it can be replicable, replicable in any business. Right. And so, um, and then just structuring it in, in a way that makes sense for, for both parties. Right. Um, and so you can actually do a lot of these deals where, um, you can do a lot of these deals where you put pretty limited money up front and then you do like a seller's note 
with the uh, with the seller, right? And so like they basically finance it instead of going to the bank and, and financing. And you can you know add some interest and stuff to there, but you can do a lot of these deals in really creative ways. And that's still probably my biggest gap right now in this is understanding the creative financing behind it. Um, but as I get more you know accustomed to this and, and doing deals, um, I think it's gonna be really really it's gonna be fun and it's gonna be like really fun to share uh, you know this part of the journey as well. Yeah. So, so let's, let's talk about that. What is your three-year vision for Colorcraft? So right now, uh, okay. So this is, this is like super counterintuitive to like everything that I've done up, up to my life. So how I've gotten to where I am now, it's like, I pick a goal, I reverse engineer that goal and break down exactly what that looks like. Right. Um, and I, I would say, for the first time in my life, I'm like, I don't have this like crazy three, five, 10 year thing, which is completely different than how I've ever viewed things. Um, right now I'm like, what is the, what is the, okay, here, here's why I change it or here's why I'm doing it. Cause what I realized is when I do that, it's almost like I'm creating a, um, a box for myself to live in. Okay. Which doesn't, always allow things to come in. So again, those those two potential acquisitions that have come through, those just came through. Like I didn't set a goal this year saying, hey, we're gonna, I had no intention of actually doing that. <laughs> um, so the cool part about it is like, as I've grown and developed, like my mindset has shifted as you get to different levels of the game. Um, I have different, uh, like, I guess, strategies how to think through these things. So right now, like my only, my only initiative this entire year for Colorcraft is to actually now hire a CEO for the overall brand. And that person is gonna go then recruit and coach these territory managers. Um, but that's like my one thing this year. And so, and I, cause I know that that, if I do that one thing well, and I get that right person, like I don't actually care if it takes three, six, nine, 12 months because my time horizon is extended so much now that I'm, that yes, I have our short term and medium term in place, but this one activity would trump anything else that I can do. Uh, in Colorcraft is because if, if I get that right person, everything else is going to, you know, it's funny. Well, a lot of the time we talk about like $50 an hour task, $100 an hour, $500 an hour task, like recruiting for a CEO to oversee a brand with multiple franchise locations. Like that's a, you know, $50,000 an hour task. If yeah. More. Yeah. 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 It, it, it really is. And, and that's why I said, like, it's more about that right person. And then uh, again, not putting, uh, that many constraints on it because I'd rather get that right person in place uh, where it's a really good fit. Um, then it's like once we have that in place, a whole you know basically a whole new world's going to open up um, where, that I can't see right now. And so the only counter to like doing the and I, I do think you need to do like a one three five year plan if you're at a certain stage. But as you continue playing the game, um, uh, I think where I've changed it, I've just been way more open to receiving and allowing space for quote unquote like miracles to happen right mm. um and that's that's been a really big shift which is probably in part due to um like my uh reinstilling my uh my meditation practice over the last 30 days <laughs> yeah that's you know that's very powerful um one thing i've said a lot of times you probably heard me say this before is like to the your business will only grow until so your ability to delegate your ability to grow your business is limited only by your ability to delegate harder and harder tasks, right? So yep. just recently you installed a general manager or a territory manager, and you had to, you know, level up to figure out how to delegate these difficult tasks. And this person probably wasn't up for it. Initially, you had to like develop them and work on a work with them on, you know, financials, it probably wasn't financially motivated or not financially motivated, but fine, like had preference to understand and look at financial statements, but you had to like train him with that, right? Yep. So that was a lot of yeah, fun, yeah. Fun, funny part on that is um, the guy that's running the territory. Like he started as a painter for twenty bucks an hour, All right? So he started as a painter for twenty bucks an hour. Now, the one thing in every recruiting activity I do, even if we're hiring for, um, so in my first year of, of running Telegraph, which was two thousand twenty-one, I was like, cool. I have you know financials goals that we're going to meet and whatnot. But I was like, the one thing that the one thing that I really want this year is like, I'm going to hire somebody and I will coach them into the GM position. Like that's, that was my one thing that year. And that's, that's what I did. Right. I hired someone as a painter. Then I, that summer I grew him into jobs manager, production manager, 
in the offseason taught him estimating. And then we ran into the second year as GM. And then by the third year, he was ready to basically take. So this is so So. counter to what, how most people operate their businesses. They say, I can't find anybody. I can't find that right person. Cause what they're doing is they're, they're trying to recruit for like, for that general manager, for that unicorn to come on their lap. When in reality, like what you did is you basically like you bred a unicorn. Yeah. And I think there's two ways to do it. Right. And I think there's, um, there is situations where yes, you're going to find that that person that will be an external hire and, and to do that. But I think it's it's uh, it's less pre- it's less predictable and uh, and you might have to go through a bunch more failures than than that. Same thing internally, though, but internally, you can kind of go step by step with it, it which is for me, it's actually more com- it's more comfortable as well, rather than just bringing this person in that doesn't maybe know anything about the business and then putting them into this major role. It's like, you know, my guy has seen the business grow from you know, nothing to, you know, what it is in today. And he's been a part of that entire process. Um, but yeah, that's the, my other painting company that I started in 2015. Um, I had a, a girl, she worked with me for three years, but it was the same thing. She started as a painter. And then by the, by the third year, she would, um, she was booking, producing work, just handing, handing me checks, which was great. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Which is, a, it's, a, it's a good thing. So I'd say like, the one thing I focus on when recruiting is if, even if I'm hiring for a marketer position, my the main thing i care about is because i know that if i hire this person we're going to invest in them right just as much as they're investing in us and so can this person do i see this person as being a bigger possibility than they than they see themselves right now and could they be more than just that marketer like could they be the marketing manager could they you know run a cold call team could they do more stuff in the marketing uh bucket or could they be a salesperson Right. And really, if I'm hiring a marketer, I'm really thinking, could I could I uh, get this person to be a salesperson one day um, or, and then even more? Right. Or if I'm hiring a painter, could they be at least a job site manager? Could they be a production manager? Could they run multiple groups um, when I hire a subcontractor? It's like, uh, you know, my, again, my, my best story, the subcontractor who is actually part of painter growth. Now he's starting his own thing. He moved, moved away. But um, I brought him on and you know, by the second year he was running three crews. So um, yeah, it's when, when you can find those good people and then see them as a much bigger possibility than they see themselves and then help coach them into that, your business will, will uh, move mountains. Yeah. Um, I, as you were going through that, I couldn't help but comparing that to the stock market and picking stocks. Right. Because when you're picking a stock or when a, when a Wall Street investor is picking a stock, essentially they're trying to look for something that the rest of the market missed, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. even maybe potentially the company itself might have, might be missing something. Um, so that's like when you're interviewing someone, it's like, okay, you're shortchanging yourself. You're a very capable person and you're applying for this $20 an hour role. Like, all right, let's get you in at this. Let's get you started. And then like, I have plans for you. Yeah, exactly. And, and you got, you got to make sure that they want it. Right. Yeah. As long as they want it, then then you can do it, and then you know align their needs with with uh, with what you can create in your vision. So, how how would you recommend like you know specific tactics? Other people use this technique to find people who are maybe underappreciated by the market or shortchanging themselves. Yeah, I think um, you know the the classic line like uh, always be selling. It's like always be recruiting. So you know if you go grab a coffee and there's like an awesome barista there um, that is really good customer service and stuff. Um, don't be afraid to like hand out your card and just say, Hey, if you're ever looking for more opportunities, like, you know, give me a call. Um, or you see somebody I that, that I got, I, when I worked at home Depot, I got recruited. People were trying to pick me off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Or yeah, you go to home Depot or you go to the grocery store or anywhere else where uh, generally that's where you can see their, their soft skills, shine right out of the interactive customers do they take pride in? do they take pride in how they place things on the shelf right um you can spot that pretty quickly and then it's just a matter of starting a conversation and uh uh and it's like the worst thing that happens is they're not interested it's like okay no problem uh, <laughs> uh but the best thing that happens is you you find a you, you find a badass to come on your team and uh and you do really really cool things to play so there's again head, heads you win tails you know, you, you really don't lose much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's good. Um, I mean, there's a lot of places where it, we interact with people on a daily basis. I mean, the paint store comes to mind, 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's yep. typically or oftentimes some good people at the paint store and uh, you can probably find online how much they get paid. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's funny. I know a buddy that runs a company that's out, um, not in the painting world, but I, I think he recruited 90% of like a 30-person sales team from uh, from Cactus Club. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, he just, every time he went in there, he would just, uh, he would just find the servers that were like, really good at uh, the customer service and serving and then and then he would just set up an interview with them and his position would pay them like you know five times more than what they're making a cactus and uh that's a big deal but uh, yes it was a pretty funny story yeah i mean going back to to where you're trying to get to with your portfolio of companies is uh another going back to hormozy way that he describes it so there's there's working in your business right which is like you know turning the wrench there's working on the business, which is like recruiting, building systems, things like that. And then there's working over the business. Right. And I haven't so actually he, heard that. So he calls it working over the business where you're like, you're, you're like, you know, think about being the puppet master and you're placing a CEO here mm. and like doing a right. plan company and like you're affecting things from a really high level, like multiple layers down, but you're still, you're still pulling the strings. Mm. Uh, yeah, I never heard that, but that's, that's, what I feel like I'm, I'm now in the, in that position doing with the different uh, companies in the portfolio, which is, you know, two basically two majority ownerships and then one one minority, right? And then uh, and then it's almost like you have you have like the acquisition arm, and then you have um, basically like quote unquote like a pro like projects within each that are going to move the strings and yeah. you know play play puppets or play chess, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's really no limit to it. Like the next, the next step. And, and like, if you, if you go back to the Hormozy model, the next step is, is finding that person who can be the one coaching the, the territory managers or coaching the CEOs of the various companies instead of work. And, you know, you're working on developing that person, but then they have, you know, five or 10 companies under them that they're okay. working over top of. That's, that's why at the beginning I was like, it, it feels like uh, such an infinite game now. Right. And instead of just putting again, putting in a box of like, oh, I'm going to hit, uh, the, the, you know, this amount of revenue, this amount of income or try to sell it at, at this time frame for, for this amount. I'm like, sure, that might happen. Right. Like that, and that, that could happen. Right. If I start building up this portfolio of companies and we get to a certain amount, someone might come in and make an offer and it, it might be the best thing to do at that time. I don't know. But there is no like I don't have a goal to do that. It's just like do really, really good work. And, uh, and then just let, let, I always, I always have this joke in golf. I'm like, just let the hole come to you. Uh, and it's kind of, it's kind of like the same thing here. It's like, sometimes you just got to let things you know come to you. Right. Why do you think as entrepreneurs and as humans, we're so obsessed with business growth? Like we're both in a position and a lot of people list, not everyone, but a lot of people in this position are in a spot where their business is making enough money to pay the bills and put some in savings and take care of the kids and all that stuff. And uh, why not just, why aren't we just like happy with enough? I don't know if it's, uh, uh, or is it just 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 playing the game and we just were addicted to playing the game and that's all part of it. It's just a game. I think this one, this one question actually um, uh, completely changed my perspective on this. My wife and I went to um, an event, Jason, we went to a Jason Freed event. He's a base camp guy. You know him? Yeah. Okay. So uh, there's a big entrepreneur event where where he did it, and he was actually the first time I heard where he's like, "Yeah, we set what we're going to do for the next six weeks, and we sprint for six weeks, and then we have a two week cool down period." And he's like, "The only thing we track is uh, basically profit. Like, are we going to stay in business?" And I'm like, "Wait, you don't track any other like data KPI?" I'm like, "I'm sitting there, like, my, my brain's going to explode, right?" Because <laughs> I'm like, "This is totally opposite of everything I've done." So then. And then back in this is September October timeframe, I was still living in this box or bubble. I was like, "Hey, once once uh, we reach a certain amount of you know net worth, then like we're good, like we're 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 done basically, right?" Like that was like the, the story I was living in. And so we're driving home, and I looked, I just looked at my wife, and I'm like, uh, "I'm like, hey, like you know, if we woke up tomorrow and we had you know just ten million dollars cash just sitting in our bank account, I'm like what would you do?" And she, you know, she listed out the things that she, she said, and 
And then I said, yeah, you know what? I would get up. I would, I would still want to meditate. I would work out. I would want to drink a coffee and play with our son, uh, hang out with you. Um, I was like, I would still love to coach people and I would still love to grow, grow businesses. I think that's like really, really fun. And so that shifted my question where anything I do moving forward now, I'm like, would I do this thing if I had $10 million cash in, in my bank account? Would I still want to do it? And it's made my filter for saying no so easy. Whereas before I couldn't say no to anything because I was always trying to like, you know, just uh, find the next opportunity to do this, this, and this. But I'm like, hey, if I would still do this thing and I had, you know, just that amount of cash sitting in the in the account, then that, you know, everyone, is, is so many people in life, they're trying to chase, fi- you know, financial freedom. And I think they put a number on it and just changing that mindset there. I'm like, dude, I'm financially free. Like I'm so freed up. I'm good. How do you think people who are like listening to this, like scraping a wall or caulking a baseboard, like how can, how can, like, it feels like we're, you know, on a soapbox right now and it's not, it's like, it could be like demotivating for someone who's just like in the trenches and just like, can't get out of it. So like, what would you recommend for actions um, that someone could take from, you know, being in that situation to being in like, you know, getting to that, that privileged position where, you can have a morning like that, right? And you cannot stress about the bills coming in. Yeah. So I saw this really good quote. I, I know exactly. It was like, once you think it's the end, it could actually just be the beginning. Right. And so um, if you're like, if you're on the tools, you're scraping a wall or something right now as you're listening to this, pay attention to yourself. And it's similar to like, where I was when uh, I just like, I was like, I can't even go estimate anymore. I can't even go to a job site. It's like, are you, are you ready for that? Right. Can, can you actually bear scraping another wall? And and if, if you're raising your hand and saying like, you know what, I actually can't bear scraping another wall. I'm just, you know, you've just gotten into such a uh, routine of like doing it. But if you honestly can't bear doing that anymore, then start to think about how to remove yourself from those positions. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't be running a painting company. It doesn't mean you shouldn't be in this industry. That's not what it means at all. And that's where people can kind of get confused sometimes. And so it's what activities can I not, you know, basically, you know, bear to do anymore? Or what can I start to get off my plate to open up space? Um, and, it, and it's not going to happen overnight, right? I think there's, you know, you go on social media or, you go on social media, right? And, and there's so much stuff out there of like just these quick fixes, right? And I think that it gives the people so much anxiety because it's such a short-term horizon, right? And so again, if you're on the tools now, it's like, hey, if in 12 months, if you weren't on the tools at all, like, would that be a success? And most people I think, you know, that are on tools are now like, yeah, actually that would, that would be a major success. It's like, okay, great. Now you, now you actually have a year to figure this out and you're like, I don't have to get off the, the tools tomorrow, but I have a year, you know, to, to do that. And just opening up that time horizon allows people to think more clearly and then not be in such a reactive state and actually be in a proactive state where they can put the things in place that they need to do. So there's, there's actually the opposite. So number one, if you can't outbear something anymore, actually shorten your time horizon, right? Shorten your suffering. Um, so you're like, can I scrape another wall? And you're like, no, I'm like, can I, can I make one stroke of this? Like, okay. Yeah, I could do that. Okay. I could do that. So you got to shorten your time horizon on that sense, but then lengthen your time horizon in terms of like when you can actually have these systems in place. So that's how you can get through the suffering. And then that's how you can make sure you do it in a smart way. Yeah. I mean, a lot, a lot of the, the time, you know, especially when businesses are small, um, the thought of delegating something else just equates a cost and reduced profit margin, right? It's like, oh, if I hire this person, they're going to cost me an extra thousand bucks a month or two thousand bucks a month or whatever for part time, if that's what it ends up being. But what it does is you're buying your time back. Um, so, you know, recently I've I've been faced in business and you've been faced in business, too, with some different different opportunities, different you know pitches that you need to swing at. And you got to decide how hard you want to swing in your business and how hard you swing will directly correlate to how far you can hit the ball, right? If you just go and bunt the ball, you're, the ball is just going to dribble out in front of you and maybe you'll get to first base, but you're definitely not getting a home run. Um, I don't know why I got inspired by baseball right now. 
<laughs> excited for spring training. <laughs> Uh, uh, so well, but then if you just, if you swing yeah. for the fences, like, yeah, you might, you might miss and fall on your face, but you get back up and you try again, but there at least you have a chance to hit a home run. So I like to well, think and, of business and, like that. And, and as you think, yeah, as you think through it too, it's just like, again, even if you, um, if you're just trying to get off the tools and hire that one person, it's like, how do you set it up? So again, tails you win and then, or heads you win and tails, you still win in the situation. Right. So even um, and now everything that how I view business, the first question is like, how do I protect the downside? Yeah. Right. How do you how do you make sure you don't lose first? Then let's talk about how you're going to win in this situation. Yeah. I mean, yeah, recently in, in pain and growth, um, I'll just like an example of this is like we're spending we're spending a lot in ads like last um, last year, I think towards a lot and ha the last quarter of the year we're spending about 30,000 a month so about a thousand dollars a day on ads and I just like would look at the number and like I'll kind of get a gut punch where we're like man we're spending 30 grand a month on ads like I could buy a freaking Kia every single month with my Facebook ad spend why don't I just save that and then put that and then I would like have more money right but actually what we ended up doing is the opposite so now we're at we're at about fifty thousand dollars uh, per month in ads. And I looked really closely at my numbers. So I like became very intimately familiar with the, all of the numbers associated with it in our sales pipeline so that it became an obvious decision for me. Like I became very close and intimate with my numbers. So it became, I had a lot of confidence in making this call. Like, of course it's a risk, but what I ended up having to do and was like reteach myself and disassociate, disassociate my, um, actions with my a lifetime of knowledge or lifetime of understanding and beliefs about money. Right. So now my, like mm -hmm. I've just disassociated my beliefs about money to this business and realized that, okay, as long as I know my numbers, as long as we're, we're, I have a person who's responsible for that. As long as he knows the numbers, he knows the KPIs and he reports to me once a week. Um, then we're good. I don't need to worry about it. And so I lost a couple of nights of sleep at the start, like as we were ramping up, yeah. as we're going to like almost $2,000 a day, but I'm like, okay, things are good. Things didn't break. The lights still turn on. <laughs> that's uh, that's huge growth, man. I think that um, the money beliefs is such a big thing. I actually, um, I read this book and I'll recommend it to everybody out there. We should put it in the show notes or something. It's called uh, Money is My Friend. Book was written in 1979. So some of the stuff is a little bit outdated, but it is by far the best book I've ever read around money and money beliefs. And um, I actually, I bought like 10 or 15 copies over Christmas and I was just handing it out to, to everybody I knew. Cause I'm like, you guys, uh, you guys got to read this book. It'll like, it'll completely change your life. So um, it's, and it's what you said there, which I love is, you know, your you know, your financials and numbers so well. And I think that's, that's likely a, you know, a big gap with a number of business owners out there, right? Is that if it doesn't work on a Google sheet or Excel, it's probably not going to work in the real world. So like, you've got to make sure it actually works um, and understand your numbers. And it's the same idea as um, when I said earlier, probably my biggest gap in this next piece for me of like the acquisitions is this creative financing and understanding that. And I really need to up level my skills to do that because if the numbers don't work, like nothing else works. So it's the same thing. Even if, if, if you're running a, a couple hundred thousand dollar painting business, like if you don't know your numbers, like it's it, at some point, yes, you are taking a big risk because if you don't know your numbers, then everything could, you know, everything could go bust. But if you know your numbers like you do, and you're like, cool, I can scale my ad spend from 30K to 50K and all the numbers back out and it checks out, then like you said, you just get out of the way and you let your business and your systems do your thing. There's also two uh, two things. Um, man, it's Hormozy theme today. I guess talking about acquisitions, but the, and this probably isn't his his concept. But there's there's two types of decisions in business, and I hope that this explanation gives anyone listening in the courage to 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 try some of these things out and to like take that risk and hire that person and delegate and 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 work on higher level ta level tasks. But there's um, there's two way door decisions and one way door decisions, right? Mm -hmm. And so. Like a one-way door decision is something that when you make that decision, there is no turning back. You sell your company, you know, you don't do something enormous. Those decisions you need to take some time with, 
You need to think about mm-hmm. really crunch the numbers. You need to know everything about those decisions before you make them because they're one way, no backing out. But what you'll find is 99% of decisions that you make in business are two-way door decisions where if you try something and it doesn't work, you brush yourself off and you try again. Oh, I hired this person to like take on these administrative tasks for me to, to free up some of my time. Oh, they messed up in a couple spots and ended up costing us a few thousand dollars. Okay, you know what? Not the end of the world. Let's brush off. Let's move on. Let's try again. Right. So I think identifying those and making quick decisions on two way door, uh, quick movement on two way door decisions um, will really help a lot of people like just make more improvements in their business a lot quicker. Like, don't be afraid to make decisions. Yeah. Yeah. And a decision is better than no decision. So if, 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 uh, if I remember sitting there with, I have a ton of anxiety in my buddy and I, we always laugh and it's like, what are the things you need to make decisions on that you're not making decisions on? And so then I'll, I'll pull up my journal and I'll literally just write the decision. It doesn't mean you can't change the decision. Uh, but once you make that decision, it does something in your brain where it like, um, I don't even know what it is. It like reduces the cognitive load on it where you can actually think about that again properly. Because how many times have you been sitting on a decision and then you say, you finally make the decision, say, hey, I'm going to do this. And then immediately you're like, no, that's actually not the right decision. I need to go do this. Yeah. Right? How many times does that happen? Right. So, um, yeah, if you're sitting in a bunch of like gray zones, if you're like, oh, should I hire a, uh, you know, a painter? It's like, make the decision right now. Like right now as you're listening. Um and then you'll, you'll realize what is the right decision for you. Yeah. Another way that I've heard is this, this is kind of like a corny hack, but if you're, if you have like two clear, like clear decision with two clear outcomes, hire the painter, don't hire the painter, for example, hire this person or hire that person. Um, flip a coin, flip a coin, catch it, put it on the back of your hand and don't go by the outcome of what the coin says, but go by what you hope it is. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah, oh, totally. Right. And like, it's just a weird subconscious removing like one step away from the decision, letting the coin make the decision. But like, what do you hope actually it landed on? Yeah. It's funny you bring up the subconscious too, because like 95, well, 95% of what happens in your life is totally subconscious. Right. And like your gut already knows. And uh, um, I was talking about this content the other day, but I'm like, business owners have the best advantage like for their life in general, because uh, the concept, have you heard of the, of the concept of the mirror? I uh, refresh my memory. Okay. So like your business is basically a mirror for your life, right? So okay. everything that's happening in your business is just a reflection of yourself. Right? Now this, this, if you, if you buy into this concept, it's taking a hundred percent responsibility for every single thing that happens in your business. So I'll give you an example. Uh, you have a painter that gets into an argument on a job site with a client, okay? And you're sitting there and you might be thinking like, oh, it was, it was the painter's fault or it was the customer's fault. No, no, it was your fault. Okay, well, why was it your fault? Well, you actually, uh, you're the one that, re- that put out ads that attracted this type of person that you then interviewed, signed a contract with and hired on. Then your marketing team attracted this type of customer that you ended up booking a job with uh, and then selling and then putting that specific crew onto that job site, which then created this argument. It was actually, all, it's all you, right? And so I tell people, it's like, if you look at your business, I had an example um, last summer where uh, out of nowhere, like my painters just spilled a ton of paint on a driveway, which doesn't happen often. And immediately I'm like, where am I being careless in my life? Right. And then I, and then I went and looked and I was like, I need to go clean this up in my life. Right. And so I, I looked at some areas that I needed to, to clean up and I didn't personally. And then like those, those mistakes stopped happening. Um, and so if you buy into this idea of like hundred percent responsibility for every single thing that happens in your life and in your business, then you can do so much with it. Right. You should be, you're empowered by every situation. Right. So if you're, um, it, it's the same idea. It's like, um, when we have, uh, when we do group coaching calls and uh, people come on and they always get the same objection, but that person gets a totally different objection than the other person. Right. And it keeps coming up and I'm like, listen, guys, like that's a, that's a you thing. Right. So let's take a look at what's happening, you know, in your life. Uh, that's, that's created that. And as you, uh, so there's two ways to tackle this, right. It's like, if you're something's happening in your business, 
you can start to clean up your business in that way because that's that's kind of like external and your life will actually start to clean up in that way too. Or you can say, hey, I'm going to clean up my life and it's going to start to clean up your business as well. And so you have uh, a lot of tools that, that you can go there and, and deal with. That's a, yeah, there's, some, there's like an applicable one that I just thought about for, painter, for painters that's I think very real for a lot of people. It's like, okay, you're getting upset about your painters for leaving a messy job site, but have you seen your truck? Yep. Right. Do you have garbage on the floor of your truck? Do you have stuff on your front seat? Like, have you wiped your dashboard recently? Like, is it all dusty and dirty? Is the outside of your truck all muddy? Like, do you take care of your your Are your financials a mess? (laughs) Are your financials a mess? Yeah. Can you, do do you, that's, that's more internal. I'm just talking like the external surface level. That's because if your truck is a mess like that, then your, your financials are probably pretty messy too. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. It's funny you bring that one up too, because we're so like, uh, we have like a nine page SOP on like keeping the van clean because <laughs> it, it represents everything else. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If a homeowner comes in and takes a peek in your truck and you got McDonald's wrappers all over the place, like there's, there's a big trust gap there. Right. It's like, Oh, this is how you're going to treat my house. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, so one, one other, one other note on that too, is the, um, so one well, 2018, I did a, 10 day silent meditation retreat and was like really down that path. And then I wasn't ready to commit to that type of meditation fully. I kind of wanted to experiment and doing breath work and all these types of things. But just recently in the last month, it's like, no, like I think this meditation is right for me. And this type of Vipassana I do uh, generally, generally for the most part, I do 65 minutes in the morning. Right. Um, and then about 10 to 40 minutes before bed. And I just want to share with, with, uh, with people, uh, I mean, most people, <laughs> I think there's a study out there. They're like, they would, people would rather get sit and get electrocuted than just sit with themselves in silence. <laughs> and um, the things, there's a couple major things that it's actually created in my life. Number one is before I started doing that consistently in a month, my days were just ripping by, like going so fast, you know, it'd be like 5 PM. Like how is it already 5 PM? Now, January was the slowest month of my life. <laughs> like perceptually right it looks so slow and then uh the amount of sleep uh my sleep is tremendously better right and then um so i have way more energy in the day and then all now as i look at my like as i map up my day all all of a sudden things just get done and before it was getting like 25 to 50 percent of things done now it's just like it just gets done and i'm like oh it's only like 3 p.m um so i'm not sure how that's happening so it's actually felt like a crazy investment you know, people are like, oh, I don't have time to do, you know, 65 minutes of, of meditation. I'm like, I don't have time to not do it <laughs> because uh, the returns, it, it's, you know, we talk about returns and, and ROI and, and finances all the time. I'm like, this is the one thing that it gives me immediate return in the same day. Um, and uh, and now after, you know, I have an almost eight month old boy. I'm like, most of it, you're talking about happiness. I'm like, I think most of my happiness comes from just getting like good, good quality sleep. <laughs> Yeah. So when you're, when you're meditating, like, do you think about anything or do you just try to like shut your brain off? So I do this type of meditation called Vipassana meditation, which to calm down your mind, you just focus on the breath underneath your nose um, and you're inhaling um, and exhaling. And then once you go into Vipassana, you start from the top of your head and you scan all the way down your body and then you scan all the way up. Now the first 30 minutes is like, I have to tame my monkey mind. Right. It's like so many thoughts are coming through because it's trying to download and process everything that you know I've been a part of. And it's really hard to <laughs> calm it down. And usually my body tries to like kick me out of the meditation around like 25, 30 minutes. But the real work starts to happen kind of after that 30 minutes. Where then things kind of like slowly calm down, my mind calms down. And I don't know if you listen to um uh David Goggins on the Andrew Huberman podcast, but he's just talking about how he's like you know how he was like overweight and he's like, every day I got to go work out because that 300 pound fat guy is still inside me and I need to like, go, go, uh, uh, tame him basically. Right. And I was like, it's the same thing for me in, in this meditation is like every day I'm like, I got to wake up and tame this monkey mind. This thing's actually like out of control and can take me down some places that I don't want to go. And so I need to sit with myself for like 65 minutes here and tame this thing every day. Um, and when you do that, it's like, uh, or when I, since I've been doing that again, and I just got back into it consistently the last month. So, um, it's, it's amazing how 
the universe just starts to work for you. Yeah. And again, mm -hmm. there's things, th things start coming. Yeah. You don't have to force yeah, it. I, I don't, I don't expect anyone to jump straight into two hours a day of meditation, but um, <laughs> I did headspace for a little while. Headspace was a great app. I don't know what you recommend, yeah. but I did. It was like, it was like 10 minutes a day and like, I should get back into it. Cause like, I felt great when I was doing that. Yeah. There's headspace. There's calm. That's a really good app as well. And yeah, like I said, even, you know, if you even if you start out, like, sit with yourself for five, five, 10 minutes to start the day. And, uh, uh, you'll, you'll start to see some pretty dramatic changes. Yeah. I started, uh, I was never really a fan of cold showers, but I just started them, um, last week, just like a daily, like three minute cold shower in the morning. And that's hard. Cause like I'm in Canada and it's like, it's already cold here. Um, but I've noticed that like, I just have so much more clarity in the day. And there's also something about like starting your day with something that's hard. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's just something like, I like that a little bit. Yeah. Actually going back to the Goggins podcast on Huberman, they were talking about when you do something, um, when you do something that you really don't want to do, it grows. Uh, this is like some neuroscience stuff, so I'm going to butcher it, but it's like your pre-singular uh, uh, cortex or something. And it, uh, it actually grows when you, when you do stuff that you don't want to do. And so there's a bunch of studies that, uh, that have been coming out and Ibrahim was talking about it. He's like, this is the single greatest develop, like development in neuroscience um, studying in the last like whatever years. And uh, people that are in shape um, and like generally take care of their bodies more, like it's a way bigger in them than, mm -hmm. uh, than other people. So when you do something like a cold shower in the morning that you, <laughs> I mean, I'm the same as I, I have a, we have a sauna and a cold tub, right? And it's like, I'll push in the sauna, which I enjoy doing it to a certain point. And then I kind of hate it because it gets so hot. Um, and then, you know, jump straight into the cold tub after. And, uh, and I, it's every time I think about that, I'm like, oh, nice. My, uh, my, uh, uh this part of my brain is growing. <laughs> yeah. What temperature do you keep your cold pool at? Right now it's just sitting in our garage. That's so very seasonal dependent, but it's uh, currently sitting at about seven degrees, seven, eight degrees Celsius right now. It's not yeah, that's bad. cold. But I also, it's not, I'll, not insane, but it's pretty cold. Yeah. I also do the, like an ocean plunge once in a while because I live like five minutes from the ocean. So we'll go hop yeah. in there about once a month. So yeah, that's sweet. Um, I did that last January when I was in San Diego. I think it was like, it was pretty cold. Yeah. Um, I've watched this guy on Instagram and he like, goes in it's like he literally breaks the ice off the top of his cold plunge every day and that kind of inspired me i'm like if he can do that i can do it <laughs> yeah totally yeah yeah just, just quit 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 being so soft and hop in right <laughs> yeah anyway dude thanks for your time today man that was a that was a fun conversation i wasn't sure which way that was going to go but i think there was some solid value there and um yeah stoked to see what happens with your portfolio of companies and if anyone wants to chat with jesse directly uh come uh Come work with us at Painter Growth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks, man. That was a lot of fun. Okay. Peace, Jesse. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Painter Growth Podcast. If you want to grow your painting business, go to www.paintergrowth.com or click on the top link in the description. Talk soon.